Well, welcome back to the TNC podcast, uh, TNC on tour. We're delighted to be down at the Lotus Training Centre. Um, we're joined with a guest. It's Zoe Weber. Hello. Hello. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank we you. We are filming early on a Sunday. Sorry for uh, for getting you up at this <laughs> unearthly hour. You were obviously at Southampton. You must be. Yeah. Shattered. I thought you'd be sort of sur- be surrounded with black coffees and, and, and the such. <laughs> no, I actually have a no caffeine rule. Actually, oh really? So, well yes, done. Yes. So uh, no, it was a long day though. Very long. Nine hours in the car. Um, obviously, quite a turbulent game. <laughs> <laughs> and what she's saying it's is very no caffeine. Emotional. What she's saying is no caffeine, but yes to red wine after that. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, what, what's this time of the year like for, for you guys? Because obviously, as fans, you know we're, we're clucking for the football to come back. You were probably quite grateful for it for somewhat of a break, although it's never ending. Yeah, it's just, the summer's just different. I mean, I always say like actually, this this two weeks in August is sort of almost the busiest really because it's actually the point where you've got transfer window and games mm. so you know people like our club secretary it's just a nightmare <laughs> it's just like oh my god I'm trying to transfer this player and I'm also trying to prep for a game or whatever so so yeah it's, it's a busy time but it's it's that freshness and that it's that exciting time as well absolutely I'm always keen with you know our guests whether players or you know people like yourselves to to go back to the start because we see you in in your you know position now of importance but you know, we often forget the journey up until up until this point. Was working in football always the dream for you, or have you just kind of found yourself in it? Yeah, I, I kind of fell into it. I think it was never, it was never. A, I, I suppose I never really knew you could work in football. Mm. I think you know, like you know, at school, like the careers advisor, it's like, oh, do you want to be an accountant? Do you want to be a teacher? Do you want to be a lawyer? Like you know, those pathways weren't really ever highlighted and was that being a woman or just in general no I think yeah. just in general really mm, yeah. um and so my my dad like we've always been a big footballing family like you know my dad's massive like he was a referee local referee and okay. you know it's like boxing day was always you know you'd go to Sutton <laughs> or Carl Shorten or somewhere you'd, you know you'd be dragged somewhere and 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 a bit more you know when I was younger you would you used to be able to maybe go to Highbury and buy a ticket on the day, sure. you know, like it was, you know, a bit different. So, uh, so always grew up in that environment. And then he, my dad worked at the Surrey FA uh, for, for a while. And so I sort of went there and, and started working there in like my university holidays and stuff, just doing a bit of sort of admin work and things. And then that was where it was kind of like, oh, okay, like you can work like you know like got contact in the premier league and the fa and sort of roles started to come up and i was really fortunate that i got uh, a role at the premier league uh and then yeah the rest is history really what age were you when you got your when you got your gig at the premier league then um 22 wow yeah do you feel pressure like even (laughs) like i'm like that's amazing 22 years old working for the premier league like did that hit home or? Um, I don't think it probably did then. Yeah. I mean, there, there were some times when I like felt in some really pressurised situations where, you know, I was sort of felt a bit out of my comfort zone. Mm. Like we went to uh, Malaysia, we did the first Premier League Asia Cup. Yeah, I don't yeah, know if yeah, you yeah. remember yeah. that. Like, so that was, it was the first one that we did. And I represented like the football department 
you know, at the at the Asia Cup, and you know, you're out like you know, sort of walking around. You know, the pitch isn't really good enough, and <laughs> wow. like the referees, like you know, and yeah, yeah. the the commercial guys are like, you know, we've got teams flying out, you know. And I even remember we were talking about whether we could like take turf from the hotel and no like way. patch it into the pitch, and, like, but really random stuff where you're just like, oh my god, I am so out of my comfort <laughs> zone here. Like, I just, yeah. you know, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I suppose what it constantly just taught you was just to think on your feet and like you've got to just find a solution here and we've got to make it work and um so it's a massive massive learning massive learning and, and when you were at the, the the premier league was your next step thinking okay i'd like to work for a, for a club now is that was that the thought process yeah a little bit so obviously you know at the premier league because obviously there's only 20 clubs you develop really close relationships mm. with those clubs in you know as as you're working with them and i suppose i didn't go into the premier league i went in my first sort of job was running the old like reserve team competition sure. so uh, before it was the 21 so it was sort of very like football based competition based and stuff and then i kind of developed sort of a bit of an interest in more of like the regulatory stuff the rule book disciplinaries that kind of thing um, disputes between clubs and and so I got quite a bit of experience there and and then yeah that sort of lent itself really to our main contacts really being like the club secretaries in in clubs and yeah and then I suppose then jobs come up it's kind of like because it's you know quite a small space that actually jobs come up and and naturally I think you're in a position where people are like mm. actually your skill set lends itself to to that so uh, so yeah so there were a few opportunities and I went into into Fulham so it's Fulham after the the Premier after League the Premier and, League, and yeah. where does um, Mr McNally come in this journey because did you yeah. work with him at Fulham yes or, okay so did he yes. bring you in no so okay. I went into uh, I think David actually started at Fulham after me so oh, I went okay. into Fulham as assistant club secretary and then there was a bit of a restructure David became chief executive and he offered me the club secretary role which was again massive I was 26 wow in, and it, you know Fulham were in the Premier League yeah yeah. You know, yeah, and sort yeah. Of, you know finishing pretty well in the Premier League so uh yeah and you know that hugely thankful to David mm -hmm. for for giving me that opportunity and, it, and he was always somebody like that he'd always want to promote people and give people a chance like you know if, if he felt that you you do a good job like he wouldn't let that kind of stand in your age or anything stand in your way i want to we're going to have to we'll, we'll rewind back again but we need to talk about david nally now so it's pretty well known amongst the norwich fans he was a very um strict figurehead perhaps one of an aura of um of power he was a little bit scary at times <laughs> he was you know he was, a, he was you know he was, a, he was a hard operator McNally was the man that brought you to North City, right? And yes. so, like, I'm fascinated to know, like, what was it like working with David, and like, what was he really like? Because when he speak, when he spoke to the media and stuff, it was like, oh my god, this is like a bit of a scary bloke. But what's your relationship like with him, and what is he really like behind the scenes? Yeah, I mean, some of like what you say is David, okay. absolutely. But I think that there was always another side yeah. to David that was. Like I said, like hugely encouraging, very supportive, very demanding, mm, like hundred yeah. percent. You know, like. Uh, but I think that if you if you deliver and you build that trust from him, yeah, and he knows that he can trust in you, 
and that you're doing you know the best for the club and and the best in the situation then yeah we we kind of yeah developed a relationship where you know i felt that we got on and yeah. and yeah well, well so we heard all about dave mcnally fulham that must have been a, a roller coaster journey they were flying high where next after fulham so after Fulham, I went to work for a solicitor's firm, um, McCormick Solicitors, who's the, the senior partner is Peter McCormick, who's recently sort of been chair of the Premier League and the, and the FA. Uh, and that, again, was in a kind of sports law capacity. So uh, going in, uh, they then advised the Premier League. So it was really kind of trying to translate a lot of the law and then sure. make it fit for purpose for, for clubs and the frameworks and, and yeah and again disciplinaries kind of disputes between clubs but actually as well it kind of gave me a broader kind of experience along around like commercial deals you know sponsorship deals image rights so a little bit like of a broader expertise than just purely kind of football regulatory. And was that to kind of expound your knowledge or at that point are you thinking, you know, I want to step out of football? Like what's the, what was the, the sidestep there? Yeah, the, there was a little bit of me that was like, do I want to sort of qualify into the law? Because that had always been something that I'd been hugely interested in. And that gave me the opportunity to really explore whether that, that was for me. And I think I really enjoyed it but when there was a job that came up at Liverpool and I grew up as a Liverpool fan so it was a bit like you know heart and head yeah and I was like oh my god you know and and so I was like this might not ever come up again and I'm always a bit like you know just don't regret not doing something so yeah so I applied for a job at at Liverpool and uh, and went there so Zoe I've got a bone to pick with you linked to Liverpool I'm sorry to say it so rumour has it that you did the paperwork paperwork for a certain Louis Suarez. <laughs> now, yeah, you, he you had some fun that? times at Carrow Road. <laughs> no, no, stop this. I know you're a fan. Right? I'm, I'm still angry with you for getting that over the line, Zoe. So what's your excuse reasoning? How did that happen? The I'm still, I'm ter- not over it. I'm not over it. It's your fault. I know, I know. I, I know, he was... Uh, I think again, you know, when when I was at Liverpool, we had a sporting director there, Damien Camoli, so uh, who I really, really enjoyed working with. Enjoyed working with Damien, and and actually, for me, he took my role beyond just doing the paperwork. And he would, you know, I would go, you know, like I travelled to Amsterdam with him to meet with Ajax to do the deal. Um, you know, I kind of travelled to different places with him, meet with agents. So he really, again, you know, just taking that learning on again, rather than just being kind of sat in the office mm. doing a transfer agreement, it was like actually round the table um, and and seeing how to how to kind of make these things happen. So, yeah, the, the, I think the Suarez piece was just hugely satisfying. Like internally, there was loads of time pressures. We needed to get his work permit. We literally kind of got him on the pitch like the next game and it was just like um, amazing. But yes, I did come to Carra Road with Liverpool at that time. All right. The she person, we, the person we should have asking this question is John Ruddy because we had John on the oh, podcast yeah. and, and he said those periods when you know we'd face Liverpool, 
every time Louis got the ball, he was like, oh, here we go again. Yeah, yeah, here we yeah, go yeah, again. Yeah. He's going to yeah. lob me or something. Yeah. It, so what we t- this is kind of 2013? Uh, sort of 2011. 2011 Louis. was he yeah, signed? Louis, yeah, we signed Louis in the January. Uh, what... Have tram- the, the way that transfers happen, have they changed from over a decade ago to now? I mean, you know. Uh, yes and no. I mean, I wouldn't say hugely probably in the in the last decades. Probably since I mean, when I started at the Premier League, they used to come through on fax. Oh no way! <laughs> and actually, this, when I first started at the Premier League, there were no transfer windows. Oh, really? Yeah. So they were coming in while I was at the Premier League. So then literally you could just be sat in the office and you'd have this fax machine at any time of day or night oh my would literally just start churning and then like a deal Whoa. would come through. Did you go through, to sleep like, and just be woken yeah, like, you know, like, um, And yeah, so like, it's hard to fathom that now, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but it is, yeah. You know, like deals used to get done like on a Thursday or a Friday for, and the player would be gone on the Saturday playing for yeah. another team. Like, wow. That wow. must have been such an incredible kind of few years at Liverpool though, to see how a, you know, a big, big club operates. I mean, you speak, you're around the table with multi-million pound transfer deals. I mean, what a way to, to learn your craft. Yeah, yeah, it, absolutely. And and that was the thing, I think, like, you know, Damien giving me that opportunity to kind of step more into into that arena. Because the, the January we we signed Louis was also the January we uh, sold Fernando Torres to Chelsea and yeah. brought in Andy Carroll. Okay. And that was like, <laughs> you know, like that was proper deadline day. I think at like five o'clock on deadline day, the Torres Carroll thing wasn't even a thing, you know, and then you've got like helicopters flying wow. everywhere, like wow. medicals happening simultaneously. Yeah. You're like, you can't sign that until that's done. Like, <laughs> um, and I think we got there, I don't know, like about 10.30 or something. That's Incredible. remarkable. Yeah. Incredible. It, so while you're at Liverpool, is this when you first met Stuart? Yes. Or, okay. So yeah. what was his role at the club at that point? So he headed up our academy recruitment. Sure. Okay, uh, yeah. so 27, so Liverpool then to Norwich, is that right? Uh, yeah, I went a, back to the Premier League briefly. Back to the and Premier League. To, yes. Yeah. And then talk us through coming to Norwich. So 2017, you arrived at, in Norfolk. Yeah, well, originally I obviously came when David was here, so that was 2015. Okay. Yeah. So 2015 till the, till the May 16. Uh, and then the, uh, the following year, I came back in sure. 2017. What was yeah. the what like? What attracted you to, to Norwich City at this point? You know, we we remember what this place was like. At the, you know, Colney, the latest training centre <laughs> back in the day. I suspect having been up at Melwood, you've come here and gone, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> but what like what was the reason? Yeah. You obviously saw something that you could bring yeah, to the club. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Obviously, like I had that six month spell when David was here and. I think that, you know, obviously the the draw then was, you know, David rang me and was like, look, you know, really like some support on, on the player trading side, um, you know, would would you come and would you come and join us? And at that point, I was like, yeah, absolutely, um, you know, felt like a really good opportunity working with someone I knew as well, which was which was really good, uh, and then and then I found out I was pregnant. So I had to have the really honest, open conversation mm. with David, and I was like, "Look, you know, I am pregnant. I'm not going to take a job and not tell you. Like, that's just not something I could do." And Stuart was working at Huddersfield at the time as well, so it was a bit like, 
you know, I don't know a year down, you know, once I've had a baby, can we juggle that whole logistic yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So David kind of said, well, look, will you give us six months, go off and, and have, have your baby and then we can sort of talk about it after that. Um, but obviously then David left. Yes. So, so then I kind of thought, well, that's just, it's just gone away mm. effectively. It didn't really register. And then, and then after kind of Jez left, I got, um, I got a call uh, and uh, it was like, you know, would you be interested in coming back? And then there was another call. It was like, well, do you think your husband might be interested in coming? Um, because we've seen the work that he's doing at Huddersfield and we'd really like to move to a sort of sporting director model. Sure. So, so yeah, so, you know, when, when Stu and I were talking about it, it was, yeah, like, I was like, you know, there's a really strong foundation here. There's a Cat One Academy, yeah. the infrastructure, you know, the, the infrastructure, not necessarily like the buildings, but the, the club setup yeah. had been in the Premier League. Yeah. So it was mm -hmm. like, you know, this mm -hmm. is, this is very different to, um, to maybe, you know, a, a, a smaller club in the championship that, that maybe had been, you know, promoted from League One or so, you know, like there's a, there's a vast difference um, sort of maybe in, in size of clubs in the championship. And so I was like, so I, so, you know, I said, I think there's real possibility here to, to really make a difference. And the owners are amazing and they let you make the difference and they trust you. And, and I think, you know, that's something that, that Stuart had always said, you know, it's like, you know, you don't always pick your club, you pick your owners. Mm, yeah. And, and, you know, for him moving from Huddersfield with Dean Hoyle, who was, you know, amazing and invested in the, so much in the club there, I think, you know, for him to move, it was going to be like, I need to go somewhere where I can feel that I can, you know, really have that yeah. um, ability to implement the things that I want to do. From the outside looking in at that, that period, so just before you, so around the time you joined then, so like, so Dave McNally leaving, Jez Moxie being appointed very quickly, didn't continue, yeah, I'll yeah. word it like that. Yeah. From the outside looking in, Norwich City looked like a circus. What state did you find the club in at that point? Because I know you're saying, you know, it was a great opportunity, et cetera, the club had the right things in place to make it a success in the Premier League, but it wasn't, it was a bit, in a bit of a mess at that period. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's it. I think there was so much change and probably people feeling quite unsettled because of the, you know, mm -hmm. promotion, relegations and things like that. Like, that does unsettle. And I think, I, I suppose a couple of things really. One, it felt constantly reactive. Mm. So very reactive to the circumstances, right, okay, we've been relegated, right, okay, we've got to deal with relegation now, right, we've been promoted, we've got to deal with that, like, what, a little bit less of a long-term vision of where are we trying to mm. get to. And then I think the other thing that was, that was quite sort of evident was a lot of good work, but a lot of silos. Sure. So there wasn't, you know, it felt very much like Carra Road, and you know the training ground, you know, quite separate. Uh, not a lot of conversation around. Right. You know, it was like everyone was getting on and doing their job, and you know, and everyone was working hard and doing well. You know, but it was like actually, there's no mm. nothing joining this all up, mm. and no kind of collective drive mm. of of where we're trying to go to. So, so a lot was there. It was just actually how do we how do we put it together, and how do we create that vision and plan of of where we want to go. 
at, at this point, Stuart, as you as you mentioned, is obviously doing brilliant things with Huddersfield, and we know all about that. And and you know, Norwich City, thankfully, kind of replicated that. But at the time when you're going, look, Stuart, I think there's an opportunity here at Norwich City. What was the initial response from you, I guess, and also from Stuart? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, he was hugely excited by it as well. Like I said, I mean, it was a very, very tough decision. Mm. I mean, Huddersfield were just on the verge of being promoted yeah. to the Premier League. So, you know, and a lot of sort of family and friends and people would be like, well, why, why would you go to the Championship? Look, you, you could be in the Premier League in, you know, a couple mm -hmm. of months. Like. And, and, but I think that, you know, Huddersfield were talking about closing their academy because of, and I, and I get it because of the competition from, you know, where, their location, where they are, the competition from all the, all the clubs in Yorkshire, yeah. Northwest and everything, you know, like the catchment area, you know, their players were just getting picked off. So, you know, they were talking about closing their academy and, you know, you, you've spoken to it, like he's hugely passionate about youth development. Mm. Like, I mean, when Johnny Rowe scored <laughs> last week, I mean, that yeah, is the he, most, most exciting. Like, I mean, Stu was literally out of his seat, like, because that is the thing that he's like, he gets so much satisfaction from me seeing a player going on that journey. Like, and so, so I think, you know, and again, Cat One Academy, I think Huddersfield then might have been Cat Two, maybe Cat Three. Like, so, so he just saw that actually, like, there's more here that lends itself to the things that I'm passionate about. Um, and, and that's what kind of drove, drove a bit of the move. Maybe I'm not Johnny Rose number one fan after all. Maybe it's Stuart. He's got a lot of fans at the moment, yeah, hasn't he? Yeah, you yeah. and Stuart can start the, the Johnny Rowe fan, fan club. club. Yeah. <laughs> That's not idea, Stuart. I know you watching. Um, so I'm, I'm quite keen. One of the reasons why I was so passionate to do this podcast with you and obviously Jack and, and everyone as well was I was fascinated to understand. I think there's a lack of understanding, forgive me for being for saying this of what you actually do right. to put it okay, bluntly right. and yeah, I'd be quite yeah. interested to understand like how's how's your role developed from that first period when you came into the club to now what does your day-to-day week-to-week month-to-month look like could you just give us some examples of all of the areas that you cover in, in within the club yeah 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 so I guess yeah my role has evolved because obviously when when um we first moved here like Sebastian was really young so I only kind of came back initially like kind of working three days so it was very much right okay and and then it was very much focused on the player piece you know obviously Stuart came in he was hugely active to start with and it was like right you know just help me here like you know it was you know like bringing in Angus Mario Frangic mm. or you know like those you know players um in the early days and then gradually kind of as I've built up uh, going back sort of working full time and then you know just gradually taking on taking on more and more responsibility so now you know effectively now kind of I'll oversee everything non-football um, and Stuart oversees everything kind of football so which has been a massive transition for me because obviously like that's where I started on that, football, on yeah, that yeah. side so at you know like a couple of weeks ago you know, I went with uh, head of sales to Gran Canaria to <laughs> kind of, you know, talk to them about the, the partnership and things. And that's just not really, that wasn't my world that I grew up in. But I think what I've learned um, is that actually, though, it's pretty much the same. Right. You, you, you know, like, you know, in a transfer deal, you're trying to get everybody across the line at a particular moment in time and everyone being happy with the outcome. Sure. You know, so actually, you can translate a lot of that to you know a lot of 
a lot of the business side of things. So I think probably the 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 bit where it kind of initially sort of transferred was when we started to try and look at um, sort of investing here at the training centre. Yeah. And so I kind of drove like the Canaries bonds that we did. Yeah, remember um, well. To then obviously, you know, and then it was like, right, what does this look like? So I start, you know, so it was sort of that transition a bit, you know, it was still football, but it was actually more into like, right, we're going to build this building. Uh, and again, very similar kind of skill sets. You're just trying to take people on a journey and get get mm. to a particular outcome. So, so yeah, so yeah, so now, I think what what is good about the role is because I have such a deep understanding of the football side of the business that I can really make sure that everything that we do on the non-football side is is set up to support, and that actually that you know where we came in and there was a bit of that separation mm. now you know it's one club and you know we have guys from Carrow Roads well people that work across both sites actually which is really good but you know you, you, you'll you come here and you'll bump into the commercial team or the comms team and they'll be here and equally you can be in Carrow Road and there's guys from the academy sat there hot desking or whatever mm. so that it's had like you know massive positives in in terms of that and, and you speak about, um, you know, you're not necessarily buying into a club, but you're buying into, into your owners. You're obviously, you know, get on very well with Delia and Michael. They must have been so supportive over the years. What's it been like working, working for those guys? Yeah, re- really good, because I think that, that, you know, they have given me opportunity. They've, you know, they've like, you know, any time, you know, like maybe there's an opportunity come up, they're like, go on, you can do this, mm. you can do this. Like... Uh, so, so yeah, huge, hugely supportive and really just really encouraging as well. I think is the thing. Like, uh, but but you know, equally, you know what they want in terms of, I suppose, the stuff that you can't see sure. and feel. It's it's the culture. You know, she wants that real kind of collaborative environment, feeling of inclusivity. Uh, where you know everyone is valued there mm-hmm. isn't that r- massive sense of top down you know yeah, and, yeah. and and that's that's an environment I'm much more comfortable in I'm you know I'm I wouldn't say you know I, w- I would struggle to be that David McNally style figure that's yeah. very you know but you know is quite kind of you know maybe a bit more autocratic and you know like I you know I want to I want to take people on that journey and I want people to feel involved in that and and to know what's happening and to know where we're all going. So I love that you mentioned the word journey there. I mean, the journey you've been on in the you know 10 or so years you've been at the football club is probably more than if you were to compare that to another club. Let's start with, you know, the transition, I guess, you know, through the, the Daniel Farker era because, you know, we've spoken about it so many times on this podcast. It was just the most magical time you and Stu are obviously huge parts of that. What was it like to be within the football club? Because, you know, we look back now and it worked brilliantly and you can go, okay, like the signings of Ramchic worked so well. It could have gone so horribly the other way. Was it, did it feel like you were taking a risk at that point? Uh... It, it didn't feel like, I think probably like you say, because of the, the place the club was in, it needed a complete reset. Yeah. So it was almost probably one opportunity where you did have to take a bit of a risk. Okay. Uh, but I think for Stuart, Daniel, he would never have seen Daniel really as a risk. You okay. know, he'd obviously tracked him 
for some time. You know, I know that he, you know, he was a manager. I think he'd even met him before he'd come to Norwich. So, so he wouldn't have he wouldn't have necessarily seen it as a risk. And and obviously, you know, the financial circumstances of the club at that time. I mean, we remember. We remember, we, you know, we obviously sold sold James Madison after the first summer, which yeah. was kind of a bit of like, right, this needs to happen to kind of make sure that we exist. <laughs> so then, really, going into that eighteen nineteen season, it was actually like, how do we manage our financial situation, and how do we just almost try and pull together mm. a team that we think can be competitive? So there was in that eighteen going into that. 18-19 season there was never any talk of like we're going for promotion here this wow. was like we just need to try and be competitive wow. because the resources we have yeah are just not there yeah. right now like um and but that meant obviously we had to get a lot more creative in terms of recruitment and that's you know obviously you know all of the germans going in but it was a really good market for us and it yeah. was an affordable market for us and a lot of free transfers mm. and it was it was just how do you know how do we build a team that that you know will will give daniel the best possible chance you know playing the way that he mm. wants to play and probably maybe just that lack of expectation built something I think that you know you, you speak there of lack lack of expectation and there probably was but you then get to a point in the season I mean we're only speaking of it from fans I, you know I hate to think what it'd be like to be within but you get to a point and you go oh it's on yeah, uh, uh, does, yeah does that yeah, point yeah. then become like you go oh we could be on like we we're creating something like yeah, historical yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. What was that point for you and, and how did that yeah, feel? So, so I think, I mean, if you remember like the first five or six games, I think we only won one game, yeah. didn't we? And I think, uh, was it, I think, had we, I think, did we get battered by Leeds? Yes, Quite, we did. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at that point, everyone was, yeah, 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 and three goals, I think very quickly. And, and everyone was calling for like Daniel to go, you know, and it was like, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And, and I always remember Stu sitting down and saying, look, I know this doesn't feel good, but it is turning. I can mm. like I can see it in the performances. I can see it in the output. I think this is going to. So was he second guessing together. it? Sorry to drop Zoe. Was he so, second guessing Daniel at that point? No, no. He like the noise was Daniel needs to go, and yeah. he was like, no, look, we need to stick with this because right. I think it is about to turn. Yeah. And you know, and fair play because so easily in those situations you can crack, crack under yeah. the pressure yeah. and. And and then it was actually I think the moment for me was when we went away to Leeds. Yes. And we won away at Leeds, yeah. and I think that you know because obviously they were there or thereabouts, and we went there, and it was like do you know what we Huge. can do this. Mm. We can do this. No, sorry, I thought you were going to say. No, no I, I was just you. sorry. I was just reminiscing about that. Come on, what? I was just in a, in, a, in a in a good place just then. Um, we, we, we returned to the Premier League and I think listening to you know the neutrals at that point the first time around you go up we sign what was it Sam Byer or maybe we I think we were all on board with the journey at that point yeah, we, were like, yeah, we know our yeah, financial limitations yeah, we'll yeah. do it our way didn't work out fine I think we all accepted that yeah. bounce straight back and we're becoming quite greedy at this point I yeah, think yeah, 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 it's yeah. easy you, yeah, you get relegated yeah, you come yeah. straight back I think the, the, the frustration for Norwich fans were probably that second time it felt like we maybe did didn't give it as much of a go as as we could have done. It felt like the identity was starting to kind of unravel somewhat. You know, 
more from a, a stylistic approach on the pitch. Talk us through the decision making for that kind of second Premier League relegation and like with hindsight would you have done anything differently? Yeah I mean it's really hard to know when you make certain decisions what it would be like you know if you'd made the different decision mm. and I think you know one of the things we've always said is because of where the club was when we came was we're never going to put the club in jeopardy mm. and you know we'll never apologize for that you know this club has been here you know for what you know 120 yeah. odd years mm-hmm. like you know it it has to exist right for for the community for everything like so so we're never going to put that at risk so that is first and foremost so i think also what would be lovely to see is if we were in that environment when it wasn't covid mm. yeah it like goes, yeah. you know because the end of the first relegation was covid yeah. you know and and you look and we you know we were just turning a corner yeah as as covid yeah. hit and the games you know and you think god what if maybe we'd carried on playing mm. maybe we might have actually stayed up uh you know we lost the best part of 35 million as a COVID. club yeah. due right. to covid so that's 35 million we didn't then have to invest yeah. in the squad going into the premier league mm. like yeah. so there were just lots of different things i think that uh played a part in you know us not you know obviously obviously staying up mm. you know the, the big decision was was kind of getting rid of daniel mm. And that sounds quite harsh, getting rid of somebody. Like, uh, but your um, job is can be brutal. Yeah, and uh, and that day at Brentford was one of the hardest days. Mm. Like, because obviously we knew going into the game we'd already made the decision, and win or lose. Like, did Daniel know at this point? No, no, and and we felt that it was very important. Obviously, for that, nobody Mm. in the squad knew. Mm. Uh, Obviously, the coaching staff, nobody knew. And we, I think there's a, there's a picture, I think, apparently, where obviously we've just won and we're in the director's mm. area just looking like the most solemn group of people yeah. that have ever seen. Is that been. how you felt? Yeah, yeah. because, like, I mean, you know, we'd built something mm. yeah. so big and amazing as a group and we were having to make the decision to make that change. But I think we just felt that we weren't, we weren't we were just repeating the same yeah. thing over and over again and you know losing what was it seven nil at Chelsea that's just not acceptable it's not and yeah. and we couldn't have an environment where that was deemed to be acceptable mm. and and so yeah we you know we had to we had to make that decision but yeah it definitely wasn't an easy one do you regret that decision I don't know if uh because fans talk about it all the time. They, they so do talk about it. We should have it. stuck with we him. We should have stuck da, 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 with da. him. Yes, absolutely. But, I mean, we were driving to Brentford and we were listening to the radio and fans were talking about taking Farker out banners. Mm-hmm. Like, so the sentiment at that moment in time was, I think everybody, you know, we weren't being led, but we, we didn't make that decision because of fan sentiment, no, no. obviously. Yeah. But, but I think... I think everyone just felt we were almost a bit Groundhog Day mm. and we were just repeating the mistakes of, of the previous Premier League season. Like, 
I, I don't know whether I regret it, but I wish that you had the benefit of being able to go back and you know yeah. play it out again and see what happened if yeah. if if you didn't make that change. Like, would would it would it have been different? What but, about hiring Dean Smith? Uh, I mean, you know, look, fundamentally, these aren't you know my my decisions, and you know, whilst you know, I see my role very much in this situation as being somebody that Stuart can talk to. Yeah support you know ultimately uh you know i don't have a a say in you know uh, per se but you know i mean as a board obviously you know we 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 backed we backed the decision and and i think probably in hindsight with dean you know again you look and on paper on that day at that moment in time it seemed like a very sensible appointment yeah, yeah. a very logical appointment you know he knew how to he knew how to win in the Premier League. He knew how to get, you know, we were like, well, if we get relegated, he knows how to get out of the championship. Yeah. You know, you know, he's a very well-respected, highly regarded head coach uh, that probably had he not, you know, literally been sacked from Villa that, that weekend, we would never have had a chance of getting. Mm. Like, yeah. you, you know, so, so when you look at it on paper, you're like, actually, this is something that, that does make sense. You know, Stuart knew him as well. He'd he'd spoken to him previously about roles. He would, you know, it wasn't. I think, you know, maybe from the outside it looked like, oh, we've just gone and got the guy that's just got sacked because he's become available. But he was always on our list. Sure. Like, right. so we keep, you know, obviously lists of lists of potential head coaches in case a we move someone on or b they get approached by somebody else. So, so he was always on that list. And the fact yeah. that he became available was then. You know, let's let's have a conversation. I think probably with hindsight now, I think we would very much question bringing in a head coach again that is literally coming straight from another job. Right. Okay. Like it I was think, too soon. I think yeah. I think it was interesting. Too, it was too soon, and and I think that's something that if we were going on that journey again in the future, I think mm. we'd be really aware of. Sure. You said something quite interesting, Zoe, about listening to the radio. And I think it's probably fair to say that fans have maybe felt almost like they're not being listened to over the last couple of years, rightly or wrongly, you can agree or disagree with that. Do you personally listen to the radio, read the newspaper articles, see what's being said on, on social media? Have you maybe changed tact throughout your time at the club from reading to not reading to watching to not watching? How, how does that work in your world? Because there was that phrase, we ignore the noise, we ignore yeah. the noise, but it gets yeah, to a yeah, certain yeah. point yeah. Yeah. where surely you have to pay attention to the noise because the fans at this club are the most important thing, right? Yeah, and, and I think you shouldn't, when we say ignore the noise, that's not the fans. Okay. So ignore the noise doesn't mean ignore the fans. Okay. So it might be, you know, you know we, we will have, uh, you know, people, you know, the press, like the industry you know it, it's mm -hmm. actually the the saying more comes out of like we've got a plan we have to not let kind of you know a, a bit like the we talked about the the 18 19 season yeah. you know like you know the press were massively on on Daniel's case and you know and Stuart's like no 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 I think mm. this is going to turn mm -hmm. that's you know like where that kind of okay. comes into so so yeah noise doesn't correlate to yeah 
noise in the stadium, okay. for example. Yeah. So that you know, that's that's not how we okay. we we view that that you know when we kind of use that use that term. So no, look, absolutely, and I and I think again with with Dean, we probably learned a little bit more about what Norwich City supporters want from their head coach, mm. and and so there's there was you know so that was very much of a factor when we you know when we sat down and we were talking about replacing Dean mm. it was like what you know and, and we had the conversation it was like what do the supporters mm. want from from their head coach mm. okay we know what we want but what do they want mm. like so good so it's absolutely you know something that that we're aware of I think what we don't get down to is the granular kind of reading Facebook and someone going, you know... Don't oh. read the Norwich Facebook. <laughs> I'm not telling you, you to know, start reading you know, that. <laughs> you, you, you know, but like, you know, oh, he shouldn't be playing, he's whatever, or, right. you know, like, like that is just not a world to even go into. And because so often as well, you know, decisions are made and sometimes they, you know, that they relate to somebody, you know, maybe because of something personal happening sure. in their life. And they're not always things that we can openly talk about. Mm. And we just have to... You know, we always sit there and just go, do we feel like we're making this decision in the best interests of mm. the football club? And that helps kind of drive to go, okay, we appreciate that maybe supporters are not going to completely understand this, but we can't necessarily go into mm. the nuances of why. So we just have to kind of just go, right, we believe we're doing the right thing. Uh, you know, I think... I think often as fans, and I'm certainly, certainly guilty of it, we forget that football clubs are built on humans. And not only do humans sometimes make errors, but you're dealing with loads of context that we'll never mm. know and probably not understand when it comes up. I mean, if you'd have listened to our podcast, Johnny Rowe would be nowhere near the pitch if, you, if you've got... <laughs> no, 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 you, you, you. It's, um, you're not in the fan club then. I'm, I'm, well, you are, you are, you, I'm trying you're applying to for now. membership now. Yeah. He's applying and <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, going to yeah. get him to pay the price, trust <laughs> me. It's, um, in terms of list, like listening to that noise and that granular noise, obviously last season was, was really difficult and it was, you know, it was challenging at times being a fan in Carrow Road. Mm. We all knew that we were trying to pull in the right direction but for whatever reason it wasn't happening and at times it did turn really nasty. For yourself and for Stuart as well, I mean, how tough was last season? Because, you know, when you're seeing banners saying certain things and you're hearing certain chants, we want my however thick-skinned you may be and however, you know, committed to a process, you must just go, oh, I don't know if I deserve this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was hard. Yeah. Really hard. And it's really hard when you, you know, obviously, you know, there's, there's a certain amount that's directed at me, but largely it's directed at, at Stuart. Yeah. And... And for me, when I look and think, you know, he's literally dedicated six years of his life, mm. you know, to this football club. And, and you know, we have as a family, mm. like, you know, we've cancelled family holidays because stuff's happening or, mm -hmm. you know, we've like, you know, missed weddings and yeah. family birthdays and, you know, all of those things that come with working at a football club. And, you know, we don't want a medal for it. That's, no. that's, that's what you do. But like when you've invested so much and given so much and like that that becomes it does become really difficult mm. and and there was a moment for me where we were sat in the stadium and there was talk about like protests outside the stadium and things and I had to I was we we're getting towards the end of the game and I had to message like our head of ops because our son was in the stadium mm. and I'm like you know can you can you get 
um, one of the stewards to bring him round pitch sides to us so that he doesn't have to walk outside the stadium. Wow. Yeah. And that for me was a moment where I was like, do you know what, is this worth it? Yeah, really? Is this worth it? Because I don't want, you know, I don't want my seven year old son mm. hearing that. Mm. Like, you know, his dad's his hero. Mm. Mm. Like, um, you know, and that's where as well, you know, you, you, you know, you know deep down that you're trying to do the best that you can mm. do, and you do develop that that thick skin. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, like for your families and your friends that hear that, like you know, it's it's tough. Are you out of the woods on that stuff? Because you're obviously fresh start now, but I'm sure that you, you know you still sort of have those mental scars perhaps you know you know there was a lot of people singing we want Weber mm. out and it was quite interesting actually Stuart recently did a did a a really good mental health mini with the Canaries Trust speaking about mental health and the impact of, of that and you being able to spot signs of him and and so I'm I'm I'm, I'm intrigued to learn more about that period because you know there was abuse you know you were getting called stuff on the streets and stuff and so I'd like to know more about how much it affected you and how you actually managed to get through that period because I'll be honest with you Zoe, I would have quit in your position. <laughs> I would have yeah. done. Yeah. It's not funny, yeah. is it? No, it was no, bad. No, it was bad. No, it was it was it was bad. I think uh I think one thing is probably we we are very tight. Like, you know, we will we we will support each other in in these situations. And yeah, like going into the game last Saturday, I was probably the most anxious I've been mm. because it was stepping back into Carrow Road, having left previously to that. Like I was really anxious about we're going to walk in here. What what are we going to get? Right. Like, and you know, and when like Hull scored, I was like, oh my god! Like you know, because that pre last season would have been the trigger. Yeah. yeah okay. Like and. So it was really difficult and, you know, like I'm so made up that, you know, the, the, the fans have stuck with the team and I think everyone can see now, like, mm. you know, having given David the opportunity of pre-season, which he hadn't had mm. and, you know, players back fit, you know, mm. obviously, you know, apart from a couple, but so, yeah, so almost, you know, there's, there's a bit of a sense of hopefully that that supporters can see that that you know everybody has worked for the last you know the three months between the games to work really Do hard to to turn it around but i think in terms of you know the mental health piece i think i think you know you know i've had my own kind of you know mental health sort of struggles a, a longer time ago and i think that when you when you've experienced that you know exactly you learn how to deal with it and you learn what are the thing you know one you know if you think you're about to start to struggle mm -hmm. like you you can you know you recognize that in yourself but you can also help recognize that in other people mm. and you know that's not necessarily just you that's you know wider mm. colleagues you know uh, and we have a very open kind of environment in talking about you know mental health you know i and you know have spoken to a lot of colleagues that have struggled and and I like the fact that they can come and just say look I'm struggling mm -hmm. like because you know I think that that's that's really important so I think it's just you know important to have each other's backs and know 
you know, if yeah. if someone's if someone is struggling, how how you can get around them and support them. Really admirable stuff there, Zoe. Genuinely, so thank you for opening up about that period. If I was to sort of get my, if I was to maybe not be me and go super uh, negative and critical and sceptical, can you understand why fans reached boiling point during that season? Can you understand that? you know, the form on the pitch and and even some of the things that particularly Stuart had said in the press. Can you understand why fans were angry? Uh, yes, I can I can see it. I think the bit that I, I struggled a little bit with early on was probably when we were actually doing quite well. Mm, and yep. we were kind of, you know, second in the league and we were getting some boos. Yeah. And it was a bit like, really, okay, <laughs> this is, you know, that was where it was, and, and, and that's probably where a little bit, you know, maybe like our backs got up a little mm. bit, because we're like, hang on a minute, like, you know, you I think we won eight in a row, yeah. you know, like, we, we weren't doing badly, and, and that sort of apathy towards the football, which I get, started to seep in, mm. And then it just all started to kind of mm. unravel because it was like, well, we're winning, but we don't like it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I remember, I think, like, we were 3-0 up against Coventry and the Coventry yes. fans were, like, were bouncing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were brilliant. And we're like, oh my God, we're 3-0 up. What more can yeah. we do? Like, yeah. but, and I think that, you know, goes back to the learning piece of, you know, what head coach yeah. the Norwich City mm. supporters want to see. And even though we were in a, you know, a fairly positive position then, like that wasn't mm. what Norwich City supporters wanted to see, and uh, yeah, and then I think it unravelled, and it just became toxic. And then, you know, we went into those last few games, you know, where we'd lost Grant, I think we'd lost Kenny, yeah, Ben, you know, like all of that experience. Wheels came off the bus. The yeah. wheels came off, and it was yeah, it was just um, not great. It's refreshing to hear you own the fact that it was apathetic, as well as angry right I think that was something that was maybe brushed aside by other people so it's, it's, it's refreshing to hear you say that should we maybe go to the boardroom now Jack because yeah, there's I been a lot so. of changes in the boardroom there's yeah. obviously stuff going on now about the, the future as well so we should probably ask about that shouldn't we well you know it's, it's a good time to sit down obviously you were at, with, you know, at Southampton with, with the Atanasios we sat down with them last year I think they just I think it was their first visit to England maybe their second yeah I think it was their second it must have been about this time last yeah. year yeah I think it was their second yeah. yeah we sensed you know there was there was clearly excitement from those guys about I mean, they just raided the club shop for first. Yeah. <laughs> Every piece of marketing. Put all their dressing yeah. gowns. Marco's socks on, yeah. It was, yeah, they, you know, they seemed brilliant. And, and you, you know, the club must be excited about what those guys can bring in because, it, you know, it's been a, a, a long while. I think, you know, Delia and, and Michael have been open and, and said for a long while, if the right people come along, they'd be more than happy to kind of welcome in, them in and, and people have come and gone. And... So there's obviously excitement about the Athanasius. What's, um, I guess, what's your vision for the for the next I don't know, decade? Decade. Um, well, God, with, we can't with, have not a just five years. <laughs> can't have a decade vision in football. Go on. Someone will dig it out in ten years yeah. and go. You said Remember, we did that with the five year plan. <laughs> so I, I, yeah. Uh, so uh, look, it's been it's been great having them on board. But I think it's not just about them. It's about you know, Mark heads up a wider group, so there's a lot of skill set in that wider group as well. And then also, 
bringing in like the guys from the brewers and I know we've spoken quite a lot about like uh, developing our work around data you know they are so far ahead of of where we are mm. and our, you know our data teams now just literally speak to each other all the time like our guys have been over there they've come over here uh, again you know some they some in um, in Mark's group have got experience of kind of property development okay. and different things so so what it's kind of given us is that real strength of being able to go out and and you know get some support and expertise um, in, in different areas that might be able to might be able to help us and that's yeah it's, it's just exciting to see where where that may go and and the developments that might come from it absolutely there's obviously been a lot of change on, on board level as well Ben Kensel's gone in recent years Michael Folger of course Kira Scott from a you know aside from the board are you comfortable with where we're at on a board level now? Do you think we've got the right skill set, the right kind of governance in place for us to really kick forward as a football club? Yeah, I mean, it, it's something that actually um, we we spent when we brought Sam Hall in a couple of years ago as legal and governance director. We previously kind of had an in-house lawyer. Sure. And actually the thing for me was like, actually, you know, I want that governance piece. So it's not just about, you know, contracts and player, mm -hmm. you know, transfer agreements or whatever it's actually what's that that overarching governance piece and and so we spent a lot of time building up a you know a big framework around that and you know it's the dull stuff yeah. you know that but it's the you know the, the audit stuff. committees it's the finance committee it's remuneration it's you know all of you know and and a lot of a lot of our governance is driven as well by the the leagues sure you know so the leagues you know say you know you have to you have to have a board lead for safeguarding yeah. and every board meeting you have to have you know a safeguarding report and as a board you have to mm. consider that so so i think that you know in terms of actually how we you know how we operate um i think we have very good very good governance and i think where we have that you know whilst you know sort of everybody within the organization kind of reports into either Stu or i we we have a much sort of, you know, like the wider exec committee will all attend board. Because I think one of the things you can get if you have a one chief executive, and you know, and so many clubs now are, are moving away from from that to, to more of a, you know, sort of two person model, but is the board gets one voice. Mm. So they hear, right, yeah. and then one voice comes down. Yeah. And actually by having, you know, the six of us in a board meeting, they're getting from the board, you know, the board, you know, they're, they're presenting, it's not, you know, mm. and, and one of the key things as well, you know, I know people have often raised, you know, concern about the fact it's a husband and wife. I was about to bring that up. Uh, you know, so one of the key things for us is that that's what, you know, the, the, the rest of the board do have a wider relationship with our FD, with our legal and governance mm. director, with our commercial director. And, you know, Delia's, you know, wouldn't be backwards in picking up the phone to one of them and going, look, you know, have I got concern? Or, or equally, you know, we, we have a very open conversation where it's like, no, if there is anything where you feel that there is a concern, then mm. if you don't feel like you can raise it with us, you have a re relationship with other people on the board that you can, mm. you can raise it with. But I think, you know, whilst we are, you know, a married couple, we met 
in a professional working mm. environment. We have a very professional working relationship. Yeah. And I think that people internally, I would like to think, see that. Like, I don't think they necessarily see us as mm. husband. Of, you, you know, it's not like, oh, well, if, you know, if Zoe says this, Stu's just going to agree. Like, you know, there we, we will have a lot, I mean, we will have a lot of debate on things, but ultimately we have respect for the fact that that is your decision. Right. Like, so, so, you know, we might have a conversation around ticketing strategy and Stu will input into that. Like mm. he will have a view, Yeah. but ultimately that's my responsibility. And he will go, I've said my piece, that's your decision to make. And, you know, and equally like we talk about like, the footballing decisions, yeah. it's like, well, I can give you my view, but ultimately that is your decision to make and you make that decision and I will back you in that decision. A few frosty dinner times, <laughs> breakfasts on disagreements uh, no, and things. No, I, I think we've never argued. Ever. Surely you bring it home really? though, Zoe, with some of the decisions. We, never, we might talk about the decisions, okay. but in the whole time we've been together, we have never had an argument. That's impressive. Which, uh, you know, some might say isn't healthy. I don't know, maybe yeah, we need yeah, some, yeah. some really big row. <laughs> You're I in don't the wrong know. job. You need to go into like couples uh, therapy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think it just comes down to that respect piece. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, Stuart's been, you know, you know, huge for me in, you know, a bit like Delia and Michael in kind of, you know, giving me the confidence mm. sometimes mm. To, to push on. But, you know, he has, yeah, he has respect for me. He, you know, I think we both, we, I suppose we sort of come at things quite often without ego. Like we don't have to win. Mm. Like it's just like, what is the best outcome yeah. here? Yeah. And actually, if we collectively think that's the best outcome, whether or not we had a slightly different view going into that, that's... Okay. What does challenge look like? Because I think in any organisation, it's healthy to have what I would call positive challenge and people positively challenging you specifically, as well as Stuart. Does that happen? How does it happen? I'm I'm interested around, you know, obviously people have left the board now and things like that. There is certainly a perception out there that people don't challenge you, that it's, you know, the the Weber's way or the the highway. Okay. Yeah, how, how does that work? Do you think that you've got a culture internally where, where people can challenge you and do you change decisions accordingly based upon people's feedback? Yeah, I mean, I think the culture we have internally is we actively seek the feedback. Okay. So, like I say, I'm not a, it's my way or the highway. Okay. Like, you know, we have, we have so many kind of forums. We, you know, we particularly have like a forum like of senior staff that meet every every fortnight on a Friday and it's like you know three hour meeting and that could be you know on anything mm. but it's but every you know everybody kind of puts in their feedback like you know yeah I, I will if I'm if I'm thinking about something or make making a decision about something I will speak to a lot of people and I will get feedback you know and and the same with the same with Stu you know he's you've got to have good people around you that are going to challenge you and I think that that was one of the things that probably we inherited was not enough challenge right like you know it was it was probably a little bit more of a you know what a culture of what do you want me to do mm-hmm. like tell me what you want me to do and I will deliver it right. whereas I suppose now it's more like you tell me what you think we should do okay 
I more of a collaborative yeah, approach. Yeah, you know, you, yeah. you, you know, if someone comes in and they're like, I've got this issue, it's like, okay, well, where mm. are you at on that issue? I am not just going to go and tell you what you should yeah. do. It's mm. like, okay, we can talk it through. And sometimes there are things where it's a that particular person might work they might not be aware of something else going on over here and I have to kind of go look I'm really sorry but because we've got this going on but we'll be really open it's like because we've got this going on we just can't make that happen right now or I completely get your point of view but in the whole scheme of things we have to go here and it's about people then understanding that Mm. of course um you know better than anyone how fluid you know the football industry is things will obviously be changing in the in the next few months slash year Stuart's moving on for his for his next opportunity um I guess question one is how far along the line are we with finding his replacement I'll put it that way and two how does it change for you because you've you know you've been working together for quite some time I know positions have changed and, and things have changed but it must be a big change for you as well yeah, I think it's. I, I think to go back to the first. The first point we are. We had a, a board meeting last week, and we are probably down to a sort of list of six. Okay. So we've used a, a recruitment consultant to help us with with the work, and actually, it's a really good list of six okay. as well. So I, I hope think. So. I think. We're, yeah, <laughs> I think we came out because it is hard because you 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 know you've got to change your mindset from trying to replace somebody and be open to what other people can bring. Yeah. And and so there's had to be a little bit of a shift. And and in making that shift, then you're kind of like, the, you see the new possibilities that, that can come. So so we're very excited about, you know, the, the, the candidates that have come forward. And I think it's testament to the club as well, that actually the calibre of candidates that have come forward. Okay. That we're like, wow, okay, you want to be considered for this role. Yeah, like, yeah. And, but, you know, that I think comes back to sort of, you know, when Delia and Michael first decided that they wanted to have this role, this is, the sporting director at Norwich is seen as one of the true sporting director positions. Sure. Like, that, you know, a lot of clubs have them, but they won't necessarily oversee a head coach or appoint a head coach, or maybe there's a separate head of recruitment or, you know, like, but there's, there's probably only I don't know, two, three, four, maybe in the English game that are seen as like true really? sporting okay. director positions, and so that's that's hugely attractive, obviously, to, mm. to people. So that's really helped us in in you know our, our conversations with people and 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 pulling that list together. And then, yeah, I think you know we've we've massively enjoyed kind of you know the six years or will be seven years that that we have worked together. But you know, I've worked with other sporting directors in the past and I'm actually really looking forward yeah. to working with a new one now. I think it's actually time for us not to work together. Yeah. Like we're excited about that. I think it'll be good mm. for us as a family. Maybe to you good know good for you as a family. Yeah. Okay. I, you know, I mean there might be a challenge in terms of, yeah. you know, except that, you know, there might be some commuting going on. Yeah, so, of course. You know, depending on on what it is, but that we don't know at the moment. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm not over overthinking that piece. But yeah, I think you know you go you talk about you know having dinner. It'd be quite nice to go home and have dinner and not be like, oh, can I just talk to you about work for one minute? Yeah. You know, like, right? Okay. Um, so I think that yeah, I think it'll be healthy and I think it'll be good. Interesting. So I'm very aware that we've kept you for quite some time on this Sunday morning. Um, are you excited for the future? 
at Norwich. Yes, I am. I, you know, don't get me wrong, there is a bit of apprehension around Stu moving on. Yeah. I think internally, he's, he's, Interesting. A, he's, a, massive, he's a massive figure and uh, there, there are a lot of people uh, that, you know, that are very disappointed that he's leaving. And, but now we have mm. to, like I say, turn that mindset into you know, bringing someone in uh, and giving that person mm. the best possible opportunity that's, that's, that's coming in. But someone that you know, will come in with just some fresh ideas, mm. a different mm. mindset, uh, maybe their background might be slightly different, like, you know, and they can take us, you know, take us on, mm. on in other ways. You know, particularly like, you know, when you look at the data thing, it's like yep. she's had the foresight and creativity to go, we need to go on this journey. Do we bring in somebody that's like actually that's more of their skill set mm. and they can drive that on further? So, I think you know when we talk about all of the stuff that's happening, yeah, you can't help but sort of be excited about what might come. You're staying at Norwich City. You're not leaving Norwich City because that's definitely some of the messaging going around <laughs> okay. the forums, etc. Right, okay. Is is that the plan for you? What are your personal aspirations over the next year, two years? You know, you're staying at Norwich City. What are your goals and objectives for you, for you personally, Zoe, as, as well as the football club? Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have no immediate plan to leave. Uh, you know, I, I I will never sort of sit somewhere and go, I'm never leaving because yeah. you know somebody might make that decision for me. Sure. Something might happen. You know, you you don't know. But as it stands today, there is no plan. You know, Stuart and I haven't said right. Okay, you're right. You're going to hand in your notice, and then I'm going. Sure. You know, like there's no there's no plan around that. I think for me, the immediate piece is bringing in a new sporting director, embedding them into mm. the organisation, uh, and and then, like we say, you know, we've got hopefully some exciting plans around maybe doing some development work at the stadium. Like I still think there is a lot to do, yeah, um, and I want to have the opportunity to do it. I need to. We need to keep going because I need. I need. To, <laughs> sorry, I, I'm just going to have to keep asking the just Drop that bomb. No, just, yeah, no. <laughs> Yeah, we have to now. You've opened up. It's your fault, Zoe. Stadium development. So what does that mean? Does it mean safe standing? Does it mean the city stand? Does it mean other things? Yeah. I know that uh, Mike and Mark both hinted at stuff with us on, on, on our exclusive with, with them this time last year. What does stadium development mean, Zoe? Well, I think this is the problem because we maybe started off with like safe standing obviously became you know available so yeah. it's like, right okay let's look at safe standing it is no secret that you know the city stand needs development mm -hmm. like you know the 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 play the the changing room areas aren't really fit for purpose you know it's it it works but it's probably too small yeah. uh you know we could do with more capacity so I suppose what we've been doing is piecing together all of the need. But then what's happened is that just triggers more conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, it is like, right, well, if we're doing safe standing, are we do where are we doing safe standing? Does the away section have safe standing? Does the away section move? Does it, you know, mm -hmm. like what, like, so, so many different pieces around it. So, so we've been working with architects, we've been working with legends who are a company that specialise in sort of stadium development effectively. And they've done they've done the, the project at Liverpool because yeah. obviously the key thing for us is being able to do a project where we don't displace season ticket sure. holders. Yeah. Which is very difficult when yeah. you've got yeah. so many. So 
So what we're really looking at at the moment is what is the art of the possible and what would what we don't want to do is do something in the short term that then kind of is prohibitive then to a longer term plan. Sure. So whilst I completely get people aren't really seeing anything at the moment mm-hmm. and I get that like we're looking at what is that bigger like okay what what would that look like if it was done right okay and then let's now unpick that and try and take Mm, it on a journey because absolutely you know well one at the moment construction costs Mm. are just ridiculous so at the moment it is cost prohibitive at the moment right there's just just no way of achieving it but hopefully that isn't you know going to be forever so it's actually what are the short-term things we can do then you know how are we going to take ourselves on that journey to ultimately kind of like we say have have safe standing um have better uh you know better supporter facilities have more capacity what do, you know what does the hospitality landscape look like all of those different things so it's a big project that will you know like i say will take a lot of years probably sure. to execute but i think you've got to start of course like you might look at it and go oh my god that doesn't you know when we look at the vi- the picture we're like that that just doesn't look achievable but you've got to start you know it's a bit like here i was about know, to mention that we started here with literally the conversation was i think we got arsenal in the league cup in the first season and we were like there we'd never budget for cup money right so there was this money and we were like right can we use that to put in floodlights really right so it was like, yes, we can use that to put in floodlights. So then we started, we're like, right, okay, well, can we start to build a fund that is unbudgeted money? And can we start then investing that into the training ground? And then that's where then we were kind of got a bit too eager and we were like, <laughs> right, can we do this bond? Because actually we can accelerate this a okay. lot further. So, so yeah, and we've, you know, and we've obviously continued on that journey of investment here. And, and so, yeah, we've, we've just got to take it along the same journey, really. Zoe, thank you so much. Really enjoyed that. Plenty to be excited about. Thanks, Zoe. Thanks for coming. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for giving up your Sunday too. (laughs) It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure.